Chapter Three of The Hurricane Hunters by Ivan Ray Tannehill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three At the Bottom of the Sea. Methought I saw a thousand fearful wrecks, ten thousand men that fishes gnawed upon, wedges of gold, great anchors, heaps of pearl, inestimable stones, unvalued jewels, all scattered in the bottom of the sea. Shakespeare. Two hundred years ago, scientists were beginning to chart the winds over the oceans and the currents that thread their way across the surface of deep waters. Until this work was finished, the mariner was almost completely at the mercy of the atmosphere and the sea. He would come to uncharted places where the winds ceased to blow and sailing vessels might be becalmed for weeks. Day after day, the burning sun climbed slowly toward the zenith, and while the unbearable heat tortured the crew, descended with agonizing slowness toward the western horizon. At night, relief came under unclouded skies, but the stars gave no indication of better fortunes on the morrow. In these places it seldom rained. Drinking water, as long as it lasted, became putrid, but the crew preserved it as their most precious treasure, drinking a little when they could no longer go without it, holding their noses. The food became so bad that every man who had the courage to eat it wondered if it wouldn't be better to starve. This happened often in the North Atlantic in the days when sailing vessels were carrying horses to the West Indies. If they were becalmed and fresh water ran short, the crews had to throw some or all of the horses overboard. In time, this region became known as the Horse Latitudes. Because it lay north and northeast of the hurricane belt, a long spell of rainless weather for a sailing ship here could be succeeded suddenly and overwhelmingly by the torrential rains of a tropical storm. At long intervals, a slight breeze came along, barely enough to extend a small flag, but it gave the ship a little motion and brought hope to the men who were worn out with tugging at the oars. In this circumstance, it might happen that a long, low groundswell would appear. Coming from a great distance, it would raise and then lower the vessel a little in passing. Others would surely follow, low undulations at intervals of four or five to the minute, bringing a warning of a storm beyond the horizon. Here was one of the ironic twists of a sailor's existence. Even while he prayed for water, the atmosphere was about to give it to him in tremendous quantities, both from above and below. At this juncture, the master was in a quandary. For the safety of ship and crew, it was vital that he know exactly what to do at the very instant when the first gusty breezes of the coming storm filled the sails. From the law of storms, the mariner eventually learned, and it was suicide to forget it at a time like this, that if he could look forward from the center of the hurricane along the line of progress, the most terrible winds and waves would be on his right. Here the raging demons of the tropical blast outdo themselves. The whirling velocity is added to the forward motion, for both in these few harrowing hours have the same direction. All the power of the atmosphere is delivered in this space, where the unbelievable gales try to blast their way into the partial vacuum at the center. But the atmosphere is held back from the center by a still greater power, the rotation of the earth on its axis. 
no shipmaster should ever be caught between these awful forces with the huge bulk of the storm drawing toward him here we find horrors that were never disclosed to the early storm hunters it is doubtful if any sailing ship or any man aboard survived in this sector of a really great hurricane but even more dangerous are the deceitful motions of the sea surface which can trap the mariner and drag his vessel toward the dangerous sector even while he thinks he is fighting his way out of it in those uneasy hours when the ground swell preceded the winds the master had to watch his barometer and the clouds on the horizon to get the best estimate of the storm's future course if it gave signs of coming toward him or passing a little to the west of him he had to run with the wind as soon as it began every inch of canvas straining at the creaking masts to get all the headway possible he would do better than he thought for the surface of the sea was moving with the winds and his vessel was ploughing through the waves while the sea was swirling in the same direction it was a race for life and if he was not unlucky he would find himself behind the storm sailing rapidly toward better weather if he made the wrong choice and tried to go around the center on the east side while the storm moved northward he might have thought that he was making headway but the sea surface was carrying him backward while the horrible right sector rushed forward to encompass the ship now we see why redfield reed and piddington when they came to a realization of some of these facts in the logs of sailing vessels were so eager to give the world a law of storms their work was only a beginning for the so-called law is not as simple as they imagined but some shipmasters took their advice and survived whereas any other course would have taken them to the bottom of the sea and untold numbers had gone down in big hurricanes among the logs and letters collected by redfield and reed in their work on the law of storms were many which referred to a fierce hurricane in seventeen eighty for more than fifty years it had been talked about as the great hurricane but the stories didn't all seem to fit together the storm was said to have been in too many places at too many different times to suit redfield when he had finished putting the data from ship's logs on a map in accordance with his law of storms he saw that there had been three hurricanes at about the same time and that they had been confused and reported as one in the year of these big hurricanes there were many warships in the caribbean region the american war of independence had started with bloodshed at lexington and bunker hills in seventeen seventy five and by seventeen eighty england was in a state of war with half the world her battle fleets controlled most of the seas along the american coast and roamed the waters in and around the west indies the first of the three hurricanes struck jamaica on the third of october nine english warships under the command of sir peter parker went to the bottom seven of his vessels were dismasted or severely damaged from the tenth to the fifteenth of october a second and even more powerful hurricane ravaged barbados and progressively devastated other islands in the eastern caribbean this one has been rated the most terrible hurricane in history by many students of storms it wreaked awful destruction on the island of santa lucia where six thousand persons were crushed in the ruins of demolished buildings the english fleet in that vicinity disappeared neither trees nor houses were left standing on barbados 
off martinique forty ships of a french convoy were sunk and nearly all on board were lost including four thousand soldiers on the island itself nine thousand persons were killed most of the vessels in the broad path of the storm as it progressed farther into the caribbean including several warships foundered with all their crews it drove fifty vessels ashore at bermuda on the eighteenth before this terrible storm reached bermuda another one roared out of the western caribbean crossed western cuba and passed into the gulf of mexico on october eighteen unaware of the approach of this hurricane a spanish fleet of seventy-four warships under admiral solano sailed from havana into the gulf to attack pensacola they were trapped in the eastern section of the gulf and nineteen ships were lost the remainder were dispersed several having thrown their guns overboard to avoid capsizing nearly all the others were damaged many dismasted the spanish fleet was no longer a fighting force within three weeks most of the battle fleets in and around the caribbean had been put out of commission both redfield and reed were impressed by the power displayed by these hurricanes in his search of the records the former succeeded in getting a copy of a letter written by a lieutenant archer to his mother in england giving an account of the first of these terrible storms the following story is condensed from archer's letter archer was second in command of an english warship named the phoenix it was commanded by sir hyde parker before the first of these three hurricanes developed the phoenix had been sent to pensacola where the english were in control late in september she sailed to rejoin the remainder of the fleet at jamaica on passing havana harbor sir hyde looked in and was astounded to see solano's spanish fleet at anchor he hurried around cuba into the caribbean to take the news to the british fleet at kingston jamaica the crew of the phoenix found three other men of war lying in the harbor and they had a strong party for kicking up a dust on shore with dancing until two o'clock every morning little did they think of what might be in store for them out of the four men of war not one was in existence four days later and not a man aboard any of them survived except a few of the crew of the phoenix and what is more the houses where the crews had been so merry were so completely destroyed that scarcely a vestige remained to show where they had stood on september thirty the four warships set sail for port royal around the eastern end of jamaica at eleven o'clock on the night of october second it began to snuffle with a monstrous heavy appearance to the eastward sir hyde sent for lieutenant archer what sort of weather have we archer it blows a little and has a very ugly look if in any other quarter i should say we were going to have a gale of a wind they had a very dirty night at eight in the morning with close reefed topsails the phoenix was fighting a hard blow from the east northeast and heavy squalls at times archer said he was once in a hurricane in the east indies and the beginning of it had much the same appearance as this the crew took in the topsails and were glad they had plenty of sea-room on sir hyde's orders they secured all the sails with spare gaskets put good rolling tackles on the yards squared the booms saw that the boats were all fast lashed the guns double-breached the lower deckers got the topgallant mast down on the deck and in fact did everything to make a ship snug 
and now archer wrote the poor birds began to suffer from the uproar of the elements and came on board they turned to the windward like a ship tack and tack and dashed themselves down on the deck without attempting to stir till picked up they would not leave the ship the carpenters were placed by the mainmast with broad axes ready to cut it away to save the ship archer found the purser frightened out of his wits and two marine officers white as sheets from listening to the vibration of the lower deck guns which were pulling loose and thrashing around at every roll it seemed that the whole ship's side was going at twelve it was blowing a full hurricane archer came on deck and found sir hyde there it blows terribly hard archer it does indeed sir i don't remember its blowing so hard before shouted sir hyde striving to get his voice above the roar of the wind the ship makes good weather of it on this tack but we must wear her to turn about by putting the helm up and the stern of the boat to the wind as the wind has shifted to the southeast and we are fast drawing up on the coast of cuba sir there is no canvas can stand against it a moment we may lose three or four of our people in the effort she'll wear by manning the fire shrouds well try it said sir hyde which was a great condescension for a man of his temperament to accept the advice of a subordinate it took two hundred men to wear the ship but when she was turned about the sea began to run clear across the decks and she had no time to rise from one sea until another lashed into her some of the sails had been torn from the masts and the rest began to fly from the yards through the gaskets like coach whips to think that the wind could have such force archer shouted into the gale go down and see what is the matter between decks ordered sir hyde in a lull archer crept below and a marine officer screamed we are sinking the water is up to the bottom of my cot archer yelled back as long as it is not over your mouth you are well off he put on spare men to work at the pumps the phoenix labored heavily with scarcely any of her above water except the quarter-deck and that seldom on returning archer found sir hyde lashed to a mast he lashed himself alongside his commander and tried to hear what he was shouting afterward archer tried to describe this situation in his letter if i was to write forever i could not give you an idea of it a total darkness above and the sea running in alps or peaks of teneriffe mountains is too common an idea the wind roaring louder than thunder the ship shaking her sides and groaning hold fast shouted sir hyde as a big wave crashed into the ship that was an ugly sea we must lower the yards archer if we attempt it sir we shall lose them i wish the mainmast was overboard without carrying anything else along with it another mountainous wave swept the trembling ship a crewman brought news from the pump-room water was gaining on the weary pumpers the ship was almost on her beam ends archer called to sir hyde shall we cut the mainmast away ay as fast as you can said sir hyde but just then a tremendous wave broke right on board carried everything on deck away and filled the ship with water the main and mizzen masts went the phoenix righted a little but was in the last struggle of sinking as soon as they could shake their heads free of the water sir hyde yelled we are gone at last archer foundered at sea farewell and the lord have mercy on us 
archer felt sorry that he could swim for he would struggle instinctively and it would take him a quarter of an hour longer to die than a man who could not the quarter-deck was full of men praying for mercy at that moment there was a great thump and a grinding under them archer screamed sir the ship is ashore we may save ourselves yet every stroke of the sea threatened a dissolution of the ship's frame every wave swept over her as she lay stern ashore sir hyde cried out keep to the quarter-deck my lads when she goes to pieces that is your best chance five men were lost cutting the foremast the sea seemed to reach for them as it took the mast overboard and they went with it everyone expected it would be his turn next it was awful the ship grinding and being torn away piece by piece mercifully as if to give the crew another desperate chance a tremendous wave carried the phoenix among the rocks and she stuck there though her decks tumbled in archer took off his coat and shoes and prepared to swim but on second thought he saw it wouldn't do as second officer he would have to stay with his commander and see that every man including the sick and injured was safely off the ship before he left it he wrote later that he looked around with a philosophic eye in that moment and was amazed to find that those who had been the most swaggering swearing bullies in fine weather were now the most pitiful wretches on earth with death before them finally archer helped two sailors off with a line which was made fast to the rocks and most of those who had survived the storm got ashore alive including the sick and injured who were moved from a cabin window by means of a spare topsail yard on shore sir hyde came to archer so affected that he was scarcely able to make himself understood i am happy to see you ashore but look at our poor phoenix weak and worn the two sat huddled on the shore silent for a quarter hour blasted by gale and sea archer actually wept after that the two officers gathered the men together and rescued some fresh water and provisions from the wreck they also secured material to make tents the storm had thrown great quantities of fish into the holes in the rocks and these provided a good meal one of the ship's boats was left in fair condition in two days the carpenters repaired it and archer with four volunteers set off for jamaica they had squally weather and a leaky boat but by constant bailing with two buckets they arrived at their destination next evening eventually all the remainder of the crew they had left in cuba were saved except some who died of injuries after getting ashore from the phoenix and a few who got hold of some of the ship's rum and drank themselves to death how many times this drama of death and narrow escape may have been repeated in the three great hurricanes of seventeen eighty is not disclosed in the records but hundreds of ships and many thousands of men were lost and at that time no one knew the true nature of these great winds it was not until more than fifty years had passed and redfield and reed examined all the reports that these tremendous gales were found to be parts of three separate hurricanes this ignorance seemed strange for nearly three hundred years had passed since columbus ran into his first hurricane 
as reed worked at great length on these old records in logs and letters he became confident that redfield was right about the whirling nature of tropical storms there were ten hurricanes in the west indies in eighteen thirty seven and these supplied reed with a great deal of added information one of the most exciting was the great hurricane in the middle of august of that year this was a vicious storm which was first observed by the bark felicity in the atlantic far east of the antilles on august twelfth eighteen thirty seven the chances are that it came from the african coast near the cape verde islands as many of the worst of them do by the time these faraway disturbances have crossed the atlantic and approached the west indies they are usually major hurricanes capable of wreaking great destruction this one was no exception but its path lay a little farther to the northward than usual and its most furious winds were not felt on land even on the more northerly islands in the group ships in its path reported winds which appeared to be of a rotatory nature when reed plotted them on maps on the fifteenth the storm passed near turks island and on the sixteenth was being felt on the easternmost bahamas at this stage the ship calypso became involved in the storm and was unable to escape the master a man named wilkinson wrote an account to the owners from which the following is taken during the night the winds increased and daylight found the vessel under a close-reefed main topsail with royal and topgallant yards on deck and prepared for a gale of wind at ten a m the wind about northeast the lee rail under water and the masts bending like canes got a tarpaulin on the main rigging and took the main topsail in the ship laboring much obliged main and bilge pumps to be kept constantly going at six p m the wind northwest i should think the latitude would be about twenty seven degrees and longitude seventy seven degrees west at midnight the wind was west when a sea took the quarter-boat away at day-dawn or rather i should have said the time when the day would have dawned the wind was southwest and a sea stove the fore scuttle all attempts to stop this leak were useless for when the ship pitched the scuttle was considerably under water i then had the gaskets and lines cut from the reefed foresail which blew away a new foretopmast studding sail was got up and down the fore rigging but in a few seconds the bolt rope only remained the masts had then to be cut away by this time the wind was even more furious and the sea so high none expected the calypso to survive the master continued his story my chief mate had a small axe in his berth which he had made very sharp a few days previous that was immediately procured and while the men were employed cutting away the mizzenmast the lower yardums went in the water it is human nature to struggle hard for life so fourteen men and myself got over the rail between the main and mizzen rigging as the mastheads went into the water the ship was sinking fast while some men were employed cutting the weather lanyards of the rigging some were calling to god for mercy some were stupefied with despair and two poor fellows who had gone from the afterholds over the cargo to get to the forecastle to try to stop the leak were swimming in the ship's hold in about three minutes after getting on the bends the weather lanyards were cut fore and aft and the mizzen main and foremasts went one after the other just as the vessel was going down head foremost 
the ship hung in this miserable position as if about to disappear as shown in the accompanying reconstruction of the scene by an artist who worked under the direction of the master of the calypso and then by some miracle slowly righted herself on getting on board again i found the three masts had gone close off by the deck the boats were gone the main hatches stove in the planks of the deck had started in many places the water was up to the beams and the puncheons of rum sending about the hold with great violence the starboard gunwale was about a foot from the level of the sea and the larboard about five feet the sea was breaking over the ship as it would have done over a log you will perhaps say it could not have been worse and any lives spared to tell the tale i assure you sir it was worse and by divine providence every man was suffered to walk from that ship to the quay at wilmington from such accounts the hurricane hunters gathered the facts which led to a better law of storms and made life at sea safer for the officers and men who struggled with sails and masts in tropical gales but it is most likely that the experiences of the crews of those sailing ships that were caught in the worst sectors of fully developed hurricanes in the open sea were never told it is not probable that any survived the calamitous weather on the right front of the storm centre where the sea the atmosphere the rotation of the earth and the forward motion of the hurricane are combined in a frenzy of destructive power in one sense all of the men who survived these terrors at sea were hurricane hunters they had to be those who lived were the men who were always alert to the first signs in sea and sky who knew when one of the big storms of the tropics was just beyond the horizon they were learning and passing the knowledge along to others by the middle of the nineteenth century the mariner had a law of storms that kept countless ships out of the most dangerous parts of the tropical disturbances End of chapter three